What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the best independent sports podcast on the planet is brought to you by our presenting sponsor panko chicken panko chicken is the home of the best japanese american chicken tender and it continues to rack up the awards in atlanta winning the 2019 super bowl live top selling vendor award multiple best-selling tastes at the taste of atlanta awards in 2017 and 2018 and even the best fried chicken award at the 2018 ATL Cluckfest. Panko is all about connecting cultures, cultivating happiness, one chicken tender at a time. I love Panko, their family, and I can't thank them enough for their support of this podcast. It it just it means a lot. And um yeah, so go to their Midtown location, their Tucker location, and all their future locations as they take over Atlanta because they're family. And I love them, and I couldn't be more excited to see more and more locations pop up and all of that um, that goes with it. So go to go to Panko, get some chicken, get some rice, get some beer. There's all kinds of great stuff. Um, whatever you want, Panko Chicken has it. So go do that. Um, also, go to chasethomaspodcast.com. I am uh, I'm writing my ass off there uh, these days. So go do that. Read my stuff. You can get access to all of my previous episodes. You can buy my merch. You can learn more about just why I do what I do and why I believe I'm going to get where I want to go. Um, this is my dream, this, uh, this sports media thing. And um, you were going to see me on ESPN one day or Sports Illustrated, or Fox Sports, or DAZN, or whoever, um, because I'm not going to quit. I am, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep punching out episodes, writing articles, and just outworking everyone, because I just, I just want this more, and I believe my product, and I believe in where I'm going. Um, we're over 300 episodes strong and this is what I want. Uh, there will be no slowing down. Took a break, but this is, uh, this is my jam and this is what I want. This is my passion. And, uh, yeah. So leave a rating, leave a review on iTunes. It mean a lot. Share my articles on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Um, and join me as I keep climbing the ladder and all of that because I I just I need your support. So if you like the podcast, keep listening, keep subscribing, tell tell your friends, keep sharing it out, keep reading my work, and uh, yeah. So okay, all right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a special Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Monday Night Football is going on right now. 
Um, the Houston Texans are beating the Saints 14 to 3. But guess what, folks? We're not going to touch on that for the rest of this podcast because we're not talking about tonight's games. We'll, we'll talk about that at a later date. Instead, there are burning questions after a very bizarre, um, interesting, intriguing, confusing week one in the NFL. I'm just happy football's back. But to kind of piece together what happened, um, Evan Lazar is here. Evan, good evening. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for making the time, man. I know you're a busy guy, and um, I want to just kind of do some burning questions. I have 10 questions that I put together that I really want to get your opinion on and get your perspective on because um, watching what I could watch yesterday and just going through everything this morning, I'm just trying to figure things out, and I think everybody is still still just reeling from the Browns, Titans especially, but um, I have to really start with your your New England Patriots and um, Saturday Night Football. Why did they make the Steelers offense look so anemic? Um, Deontay Johnson had his moments, James Washington had his moments, but like it did not look like a scary Pittsburgh offense that I was expecting coming in the year without AB and Le'Veon Bell. What what did the Patriots do last night that really made them look just in a different class altogether? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the Patriots defense in terms of schematics and kind of x's and o's were pretty basic last night compared to like what maybe you saw in the super bowl or the afc championship game i think the biggest thing though maybe we kind of underrated or overrated depending on which way you want to look at it the steelers weapons now without ab and Le'Veon. i mean i think that james washington deontay johnson as you mentioned dante moncrief did not have a good game there just wasn't a whole lot of guys outside of Juju that were really scaring the Patriots offense all that much. They put Stephon Gilmore, or defense, excuse me, they put Stephon Gilmore on Juju. He pretty much held his own in that matchup and, and took him at least out of the game to the point where he wasn't making a huge impact to you know completely take over the game. They keyed a little bit on the running game with James Conner, and really, other than that, there was not... So really anything that scared Bill Belichick and the Patriots defense all that much. So I think the Steelers, maybe we kind of overrated their weapons or underrated the impact of losing those two guys. I um one of my questions um, that we, we did the AFC preview with uh, Brian Phillips um, last week. One of the things I was thinking about with the, the Patriots was that like I I wasn't certain that Stephon Gilmore and JC Jackson and that group and Patrick Chung and everybody else would just still be as dominant as they were a year ago, especially with Flores leaving and like Gerard Mayo called plays last night, right? Yeah. So it's been kind of a collaborative effort with the play calling. It's been a combination of Gerard Mayo, Steve Belichick, Bill Belichick's son and Bill himself kind of, you know, they're all on the headsets together and Gerard for the most part's the guy with the play sheet and really relaying the final call. But I think it goes through a couple of channels before it actually gets out to the players on the field. I also think that an underrated part of this, the Patriots have, I would say, three or four guys, but really two in Dante Hightower and Devin McCourty, who at this point are basically coaches on the field. I mean, Hmm. they're like essentially equal to maybe what like a you would think of, of a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning on the offensive side of the ball. Those guys are now in the system for almost a decade. They're so comfortable within the scheme. They're really good at figuring out formations and reading into tendencies and film work and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know 
obviously everybody needs a coach, right? But there was a point on the sideline last night where Devin McCourty actually had the tablet and was breaking down plays with the rest of the secondary, and the Patriots coaching staff was actually watching him coach the rest <laughs> of the team. So I think that there's a point there where those veteran players like Hightower, like McCourty, they've just been around for so long within the system that they're almost essentially extensions of the coaching staff at this point. Okay, okay. So the Patriots are going 16-0 is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make that proclamation. I think that a lot of people in New England, including myself, that lived through 2007 would rather not go 16-0 and again and uh, and maybe lose one along the way just to get it out of the way so it doesn't happen again in the Super Bowl. But this team on paper and now with Antonio Brown in the mix – there's really not a whole lot of holes. I mean, their offensive line depth is not great, and they lost Marcus Cannon, their starting right tackle last night. So that's something to monitor. And they don't have a ton of depth behind their starting five with David Andrews going out with blood clots. So if you're looking for a weakness, it's with the greatest offensive line coach of all time in his units. So I don't really know how much of a weakness it is, but that's probably the one place that could kind of be their Achilles heel. Well, that sucks. Because um, I think we're all waiting for uh, the Patriots dynasty to crumble. So that's that's unfortunate. It's not um, happening this year. <laughs> okay, great. All right, great. <laughs> great, Abbott. Um, the Titans, another team that has a lineage to the, to the Pats with uh, Mr. Robinson and Mike Vrabel. But um, it seemed like based on how they performed against the Cleveland Browns, and it was a big upset win, depending on how you looked at it. Because like I think a lot of people, if they just saw the score, they'd be confused. But also, like, the Browns were down their starting left tackle and their backup left tackle, and Baker just had no time, and Baker is just at his best when he when he has time. And um, he did not in this game. But um, it looked like, to me, the Titans are reverting back to what got them in the playoffs two years ago at, with the Mike Malarkey version, where they got uh, beat by the Chiefs. Um, or did they beat the Chiefs? I don't remember now. Two years ago, when they were in Kansas. They beat that the Chiefs. Game. They, they beat played the, the Patriots in the divisional round. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an awful game. I just remember like the note-taking during that game of like, oh, I don't ever want to watch any of this again. It was Alex Smith versus Marcus Mariota, and it was atrocious, and I never... Like, if I had to pick between Marcus Mariota and Alex Smith in a playoff game versus um, Tyrod Taylor versus Blake Bortles in a playoff game, which I think <laughs> happened in the exact same season, um, yeah. I would choose neither, folks. Yeah. Um, both were not enjoyable. Um are they reverting back to the 2017 Titans? And if so, is that a smart strategy? Well, I was down there actually for joint practices with the Patriots and the Titans and during the preseason a few weeks ago in August. And the two things that stood out to me about the Titans were that they were way more competitive in those practices than the week before when we were out in Detroit with the Lions. The Titans seemed to be a lot more prepared for the season and a lot more talented in terms of their roster talent up and down. The other thing that stood out, Derrick Henry wasn't on the field, but he walked by me at one point and that is an absolute monster of a man. Like that guy, it looks <laughs> like a defensive end and he wasn't even wearing pads. You know, he was just in a workout clothes, uh, you know, going through some drills as he was working his way back from injury. So I think that they realize now maybe more than even when they had malarkey that, Derrick Henry is 
there that that's the guy that they can ride that's that's their consistent weapon on offense more so than Mar- Mariota in the passing game and Mariota really struggled that week in joint practices and and I think that even yesterday there were times where you know it wasn't necessarily him that was doing uh you know all the good things for the Titans so I, I think that they realize that Henry is kind of the guy that is going to be the star that stirs straw that stirs the drink down there for them and that defense is pretty good too I I think that their defense has a lot of talent obviously a lot of former Patriots on it but uh Kevin Byard's also you know one of the better safeties in the league and uh yeah those Browns uh it's a tip of the cap to the preseason, I think, with Cleveland, because a lot of those guys on the offensive side of the ball, especially in Cleveland, uh, haven't worked together a whole lot in August and during a preseason or any live game reps. And it, it showed yesterday, I thought. New York, they got steamrolled by the Cowboys. The offensive line just destroyed um, an Olivier Vernonless New York Giants defensive line. This is not the Justin Tuck. OC Minora defensive line of old in New York. Um, were you surprised at all at how anemic and slow and just outclassed that that unit was against the Cowboys? Not really. I mean, on paper, I think the Giants are one of the more talent depleted defenses in the entire league. I mean, uh, unless Janoris Jenkins really comes back and and plays like an impact player, who is their who's their blue chip guy on that defense? I mean, they really don't have one. They have one on offense in Saquon, um, but that's about it too. On the offensive side of the ball, maybe him, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram are probably their best players on the team at this point. That Giants team is, I mean, how quickly are we going to see Daniel Jones? It's going to have to be pretty soon, I would think, that he's going to get that starting job um, from Eli because this play team is really going nowhere. Their defense on paper was one of the worst in the league, and I'm not really that surprised that it looked like that in week one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just interesting because we just spent so much time thinking about the offense and the Eli versus Daniel Jones stuff and then trading Odell when you just signed him and like what Saquon was going to be able to do behind this offensive line and this, that, and the other. And then the defense just can't do anything. They can't get a stop. And like the just the Cowboys gave Dak three seconds every time he dropped back to to find Amari Cooper and whoever else he wanted to find in that game. Um, It turns out... Evan, that if you give a quarterback, any NFL quarterback, time to throw, he's usually going to find somebody and good things are going to happen. I, I was I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the MO around the entire league for years now, obviously, but especially in the last decade in this like kind of pass happy, all the points everywhere. Uh, when the, In this league now, if you don't start to kind of lean on the offense a little bit and put some pressure on the players on the offensive side of the ball to make quicker decisions, you're going to be in for a long day. And then you have guys like Tom Brady who is under pressure for half the time of his dropbacks yesterday and still put up 350 yards. So okay, it, don't it, care. It can go either way. Done with the pats. Done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's just brutal. Um, the Josh Allen experience terrible for three quarters on sunday i i had the jets winning that game i could not believe the bills came all the way back and won and when i say call came all the way back like a two-score game for josh allen late it just with this bill's offense it seems like it's that's not sustainable to come back from but brian dable and josh allen pulled something out of their out of their hat and they they beat the jets and i i don't know if this josh allen stuff is sustainable what do you think 
Yeah, I watched a good chunk of this game actually just because of the AFC East connection and it was an easy one to watch both teams. And, and I really thought that early on in the game, the very first drive of the game, Allen came out and he was getting the ball out quick. Cole Beasley on all those little option routes and the Dable offense looked the way that you would think that Brian Dable would want to run the show there. And it looked pretty clean. And then Allen fumbled he got sacked and he fumbled a strip sack and the whole thing that they kind of were building started to crumble and then they had the cj mosley pick six and mosley comes out of that game and and the jets defense kind of crumbled around it when that happened and i think the biggest thing with the jets defense coming into the season was how are they going to get pressure on the quarterback and how are they going to cover in the back end they're basically their entire pass defense i think was a huge question mark with Greg Williams, you kind of hope that maybe he can blitz some things and scheme some things up to get some pressure on the quarterback because that's kind of his MO. But they don't have the coverage guys in the back end outside of Jamal Adams to compete with really anybody. And eventually Buffalo just – the dam just kind of broke for Buffalo. Defensive side of the ball for Buffalo, though, Ed Oliver, is, he's going to be a really, really good NFL player. He was all over the place. I think that they have some really good pieces on defense, and they gave some teams some problems on defense last year, one of the better defensive teams, and they just seem to keep adding. I was really looking forward to watching these two teams because I think that both of them in different ways kind of added talent to their roster. The Jets added kind of in like a Madden sense where they're just signing guys like Le'Veon, obviously, and, and uh, CJ Mosley. Yeah, Le'Veon and was CJ Mosley was good too. Yeah. Yeah, good signings. And then or so far at least. And then on Buffalo, I thought Buffalo really did a great job of building a team. Like they brought in yeah. Beasley, they brought in Ed Oliver, they reworked their offensive line. They really went to work on the actual team itself and didn't just sign these big ticket free agents to uh to, you know, like Mosley and Le'Veon. So I was really interested to see how so they So you're clearly higher on the Bills than the Jets. I've I've been higher on the Bills for all off season. I it's hmm. just all of it kind of just stems with Josh Allen. If what are they going to get out of Josh Allen? How good can he be? He doesn't even need to be great. He just needs to be passable for the and right. not completely anchor what they're doing there because I think they can win games seventeen to sixteen. Like I think that that's something that's that they have to win to eight or nine wins and maybe sneak in with a wild card. Yeah, and I just, I don't, I don't know. This is an accurate-driven league, and you covering Tom Brady and everything else, you know this, where you see how important accuracy is to winning football games. And um, I don't know, it's just so much short stuff. And Josh Allen is, like, it's the Trubisky thing where you worry about it, where it's like he literally just can't throw left. And you watch the yeah. game on Thursday, you're like, oh, God, like, this is a real, real problem. Um, Josh Allen, like, the they're basically doing the Carolina model from the Gettleman era. And that went 15 and one in the NFL one year cam won MVP. Like it's, it's possible it could work. Um, if I was a bills fan, it'd be weird because you're like, I've been waiting for this kind of quarterback um, forever. Just because like, we haven't had that basically drew Bledsoe. Like, is that the last exciting bills quarterback? Doug, Flutie, I guess when he so. came back. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, with, with Josh Allen, the thing is, is there was the pick six by Mosley or defected, deflected off Beasley. I think it was. And, and he returned it for a touchdown. When I watch that play, it's like, all right, on one hand, it does hit Beasley in the hands. You know, you would like to see him at least smother it so it doesn't pop up in the air like that. But watching Tom Brady as often as I do, when you throw those little five-yard dunk passes, you can't whip it at a guy low at his at his feet like that, right? Like, you got to throw that ball with a little bit of touch. You got to take a little bit of off of it to give the guy a chance. When you start whipping 
passes that aren't it looks like it's kind of accurate because it hits the guy in the hands but that really wasn't an accurate throw and when you make that kind of throw short like that you can't throw it 100 miles an hour you got to take a little bit off and that's the next step I think for Josh Allen if they're going to use this short intermediate passing game with Beasley as much as they did against the Jets he's going to have to learn how to you know throw a change up every once in a while uh spoiler alert he's he's not um that's not going to happen and i think this is just the roller coaster that bills fans are going to to have to ride for the next 10 years potentially that's fair it's just yeah i think that's what it is um the dolphins uh they all want to get traded um (laughs) they are done after getting murdered by lamar jackson and the baltimore ravens on sunday um and a new discussion has popped up of like can taking work in the nfl because dolphins can deny it all they want but that's clearly been their plan especially by training lamar uh laramie tunsil um and guys like that like they clearly wanted to clean house and make sure that this team was bad because also if josh rosen hit and you started him week one then they might win more games than they wanted to and all this kind of stuff you start ryan fitzpatrick because i think you kind of want to lose games anyway but um can tanking work in the nfl because it seems like and i i think this is a good point in that tanking in the nfl is different than any other professional sport because of just the physical beatings that these guys take for them to do that for literally nothing and just take the, the physical toll that a full NFL season demands um, is not realistic. So I understand why these guys are just like, no, uh, I think we're good. Cause I think they see the writing on the wall and this team is going to get crushed every week. And this is something I wrote about and I talked about with other people where I'm like, people are just writing in Brian Flores is like a safe guy after this year. I'm like, I, pretty confident he's getting fired because this offense can't survive and this defense doesn't have enough talent on it to survive for what he wants to do and they gutted this whole roster like if they go 0 16 it doesn't matter in today's nfl you have to look fun if you're gonna be bad you better be enjoyably bad you better have something on offense that like still sells tickets or like something exciting or you're gonna get steve wilkes i think that's the new thing where it's like if you have a, a historically anemic offense you're gone. Like, it just doesn't matter. This is an offense-driven league. Like, 19 Sean McVay guys got picked as head coaches this offseason. I just, I don't think it's sustainable. So, I think um, my biggest overreaction, I'm like, oh, God, Brian Flores is 100% getting fired this year. Yeah, I mean, it could happen. And I think that if Brian Flores got fired and got rehired as the Patriots defensive coordinator next year, a lot of people in New England would be very happy. I think the thing is, though, that shocks me about the whole thing down in Miami is not necessarily that they're trying to, I wouldn't say they're trying to lose games on purpose, but they're tanking. And I think the thing that surprises me the most about how they're doing it by completely gutting the roster like this is that Flores and Chris Greer are two Patriots guys that know how important culture is and in building a winning culture and having that kind of, attitude towards winning that the Patriots have and this is the total opposite approach I just I'm shocked that Brian Flores has agreed to this and is going through with this entire thing because of that because he knows how important building a winning culture is if you're going to have any type of success in this league and what they're doing is the total opposite so yeah you can tank for Tua you can draft Tua you can draft Justin Herbert and try to rebuild this thing but it's ask the Browns you know it's not just about getting the talent at that point you have to then also build the culture and 
get that thing to sustain itself. And that's where it kind of gets a little bit murky when you purposely lose games or you gut your roster to the point where you're going to lose the majority of your game. So I'm really shocked that those two guys are taking this approach rather than just fielding a decent team that has talent, that has some upside, that's going to go four and 12 and just taking, you know, the whatever pick comes their way and not necessarily purposely trying to get the number one pick. Cincinnati. Um, I am the resident Cincinnati Stan. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still a believer in that group of playmakers. Um, people were surprised when they got up on Seattle. I was not because I still will ride for the, if they're healthy, I will ride for the Tyler Eifert, John Ross, um, AJ Green, and Tyler Boyd group all day long. And you get in a Sean McVay guy and Zach Taylor. I'm like, there's all kinds of avenues for this offense to be good. Like, I think there is an easy path to this offense being good. And they blew it. And I was like, oh, well, the season's over. All right, they're going to be bad. And then I immediately went the other way. Um, were you at all surprised by Cincinnati's feistiness in Seattle in week one? Not really, because I actually thought, I mean, I was surprised a little bit, obviously, about it being in Seattle. I'm not going to sit here and say that I predicted it to be that close. But I do think that Seattle is maybe getting a little bit overrated uh, this offseason and going into the season. I saw people, and obviously I know these are just talking heads, but I saw people picking Seattle as their their NFC representative in the Super Bowl, and I just couldn't believe it. I I just don't see where the talent is coming from. You're basically counting a, a lot on... Pete Carroll being able to scheme up this defense to the point where this is like the the old school, you know, not not good as 2013, but you know, a, a good enough defense to make a Super Bowl run. I I just don't know if I see it. I also really like the Bengals skill players. I have for a long time when the Patriots were kind of searching for wide receivers. I was kind of begging them to call about Tyler Boyd and John Ross and see if they could steal those guys from Cincinnati. I'm so glad that John Ross is actually getting used in a proper way and not just ask to clear out constantly. And I can see that he's really kind of a loving this whole thing with Zach Taylor. So I think that that's great. And Ross is really a guy that has never really been unlocked and used to his fullest potential. He's basically just been the clear out guy for the last couple of years or not even on the field. So it's good to see. I mean, 12 targets leads the team in targets, uh, 158 yards. That, that's awesome to see. Um, the Texans, they're playing right now. They're up in the Saints at half. Um, I was picking them as the AFC South winner all offseason, even with luck in the fold in Indianapolis. I, I still will ride for with that core of Hopkins and just DeAndre. <sighs> um, just with just with Watson, I just think that this team, if he's playing 16 games, they're winning that division every year. He's he's that good. And um, I don't know. Right, am I overreacting, or do you think anyone else in the AFC South that the Titans could win? The Jaguars think we can cross off with Gardner Minshew for the next couple weeks. Then again, they traded for Josh Dobbs today, so maybe Josh Dobbs is the answer Jacksonville has been looking for for forever. Um, or did you see enough with Jacoby Brissett in that loss to Los Angeles, where they're like, "Oh, they, they could be feisty." Um, Lee Cooker did have like the best interception of all time yesterday. So shout out to him. Got to give him his props. But um, I don't know why people were talking themselves out of the Texans, at least just guaranteed to win 10 games and win the division if Deshaun Watson's healthy. Yeah, I think the weird thing about the Texans, their offseason has just been so weird. And the roster decisions that Bill O'Brien has made are just decisions that like a GM that's actually a GM probably doesn't make. But a coach that's 
you know, trying to save his job maybe and just looking to acquire the best possible players makes the move for Lamry Tunzel. Like that's like kind of a trade that a coach would make that maybe the GM wouldn't make, if that makes right. sense. And I, I think that that part of like instability and just kind of craziness that's going on with their front office and their personnel decisions is what leads people to come off their scent. I also think that as much as they couldn't figure it out contractually, the one guy that always petrified me was Jadavian Clowney. The Patriots really found a way always to double team JJ Watt and at least mitigate his impact on the game somewhat where he wasn't completely taking over similar to like Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl last year but Clowney they always seem to have problems with because they move him around a lot and he never really knew where he was coming from and he's just such a physical freak and, and a really good pass rusher and run defender so losing him I think really hurts their defense and their upside on the defensive side of the ball but I do think that they've always been kind of a team that I look at that has the blueprint on paper to challenge pretty much anybody in the AFC at this point. It's just a matter of how much do you believe in Bill O'Brien and how much do you believe in what he can do as a head coach and what he can do as now basically the personnel guy or the GM and, uh, and see where this thing goes. I actually didn't hate the trade for Laramie Tunzel. It was an all in move obviously for this season, but it was such a glaring weakness. And I think that Tunzel is actually one of the better kind of up and coming players in the league at any position, especially in the tackle position. So that's a guy that I would invest in. That's for sure. Last three. And let's get through these really quickly. I know you got to things you got to do, man. So <laughs> time to panic in Atlanta. I'm, uh, Chris Lindstrom broke his foot, so he's gone for the year. Um, you're not going to believe this, Evan, but uh, signing two journeyman guards and then drafting two rookies in the first round did not solidify the Atlanta Falcons offensive line this offseason. It turns out, still bad. Matt Ryan's still in trouble. Devontae Freeman, still a bad contract. Um, is it enough for you to say, oh, Atlanta's got real problems and they're probably not a playoff team this year? Yeah, I think I, I think Atlanta does have real problems. I think the biggest thing for me, though, is that on the defensive side of the ball, even though Dan Quinn is a defensive coach, they have never really been that good on defense under Dan Quinn. They were obviously, you know, good enough in the year that they made the Super Bowl and certainly were looking great in the first half of that game or three, two and a half quarters, really. But it don't, really, since that comeback, that defense has not played particularly well under a defensive-minded coach, and they obviously haven't been able to figure out how to use all their really good skill players on offense to a point where they can put together sustainable drives and be a top-five you know, scoring offense in this league. So I really think that Dan Quinn is one of those coaches that's 100% on the hot seat and that is going to have to show something here. I kind of wrote them as like an eight and eight, nine and seven type team coming into the season, just because I, I don't know if I think they have some holes that are really, really glaring that are tough to kind of recover from in the offensive line was probably the biggest one. And I also just am not so sure that I'm sold on their coaching staff as a whole, both offensive coordinator and DC, if you want to call Dan Quinn that. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh, 2020. We're ready. Um, <laughs> Minnesota. Or Green Bay? Who do you think is the favorite in the NFC North? Yeah, I really, I mean, everybody really loves Minnesota's talent, right? I mean, they look they, good yesterday, man. Yeah, they have a great roster. They have probably one of the better rosters in the league. Now, the question is, is are the players that they had, they do, you know, they have to give up a few players, obviously, to keep some of the guys that they did keep. They obviously want to keep that core together, and I would too. Uh, the question is, is are those guys replacement? 
where is kind of the line, right? You know, are, are those guys going to be good enough? I love what they've done with their offensive line. They've really kind of rebuilt that thing, which was a weakness, a glaring weakness for them just a couple of years ago. And now it looks like it could potentially be almost a strength of theirs. And, I mean, Dalvin Cook, as good as their receivers are, Dalvin Cook is, I think, one of the better backs in the league that if he can just stay on the field, he's going to be – he's one of the best pure running backs in the league. You know, maybe not the best pass catcher, but certainly as a runner, vision, explosiveness all those kinds of things he's really really good and their defense has just been good for a couple of years now um so i, I really love minnesota i, I think minnesota is a team that has a really good chance of uh potentially making a super bowl run i think that they're kind of destined to make a super bowl run with this core with mike zimmer at the helm and and it might be the year that they finally do it they obviously got really close a couple of years ago against philadelphia so maybe this is the year that they finally get over the hump last thing and then we're done the Chiefs. It turns out, folks, that uh, Steve Spagnola, after a year away, did not fix the Chiefs' defense, and Bob Sutton uh, is still alive and well in Kansas City. Um, when the Jacksonville Jaguars, Gardner Minshew is like a perfect sixty-three for sixty-three um, on your defense. It's never a good sign. Um, the Chiefs, their defense. Does it matter when it comes to the AFC Championship game against uh, the Pats? I think it does matter because I think the Patriots defense is going to be a lot better than it was last year and probably more like it was in the postseason than what it was at times in the regular season a year ago. I think the Patriots defense has a chance to be a top 10 unit in DVOA and maybe uh, they're going to be a top five scoring defense because they are pretty much every single year. But I think that they actually have a chance to dictate terms and really bring it to teams and not necessarily just kind of allow the game to stay close and then hold teams down so that Tom Brady could outscore people, which has been kind of what they did for a little while there in this kind of dynasty 2.0 run here. So for the chiefs need to be able to stop some people, they need to be able to stop Tom Brady. On the other hand, the chiefs offense still scares me to death. Those two games that they played against Kansas city last year, even though they won both of them, it was so clear to me that the chiefs were the best team that the Patriots faced a year ago. And the team, the game that they won in arrowhead in the AFC championship game is still one of the best football games I've ever seen. And just seeing the chess match between Andy Reid and bill Belichick in the second half of that game, where the chiefs really started to score some points and how Belichick kind of was able to at least keep it together so that they got to overtime it was pretty incredible to watch, and those two coaches are pretty incredible to watch against each other. So I think we're kind of destined, I'm sorry, the rest of the NFL that wants to see something new that's not the Patriots. I think that Patriots-Chiefs is destined to happen again in the AFC title game unless one of those teams somehow chokes in the divisional round. But I'm just not sure I see it happening. I think that's going to be one and two again in the seeding. I think it's going to be the AFC title game. I think it's kind of a toss-up right now which team wins okay there you go evan great stuff tonight i appreciate you taking the time is there anything we should check out from you from cnls media this week sure yeah if you go follow me on twitter at easy lazar and follow our main uh patriot clns can't handle as well just at patriots clns uh that's where everything gets posted so anything that i write or any of the uh, video content that we do on our youtube page you can also check that out as well clns media youtube page uh all patriots fans should go check that out because we're uh, we're down there every single day and grinding it out with the team all right evan thank you so much always a pleasure talk to you soon thanks chase
All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Um, thank you again to all of my awesome guests for coming on the pod. Um, and don't forget, if you like today's episode and you are an Apple Podcast listener, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps. Um, you can also find us on Google Play, Spotify, Um where you can access all of my previous episodes and read all my work. So Chase Thomas Podcast slash page hyphen 11. Um, so go do that. Read all my stuff. Listen to the podcast. Um, all that good stuff. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Uh, like the Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. And uh, also follow me on Instagram at Chase double underscore Thomas. All right. Thanks so much, guys. And I will have another episode for you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.